Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 7 of Revelation chapter 16. And we're continuing to look at verses 8 and 9. Revelation 16 verse 8 says, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which has power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And I'll stop reading there. Now, last time we were looking at the relationship between the word scorched, the uh, Greek word, which is Strong's number 2739, found twice in verses 8 and 9, and only two other times in the parable of the sower, one in Matthew and one in Mark. And we saw how God is indicating that in the day of judgment, there will be an intense burning or heat from the Son, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and and um, it relate. And of course, Christ is the Word of God. So the Word of God will bring forth an intense pressure upon those that have had the seed sown upon their hearts. That is those. Um, professed believers or, or true believers that have heard the gospel will now be put to a severe test in the time of God's judgment on the world. And and that's why it, it uh, uses this word scorched twice concerning the sun. And, and if um, we read the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 or in Mark 4, we see the seed is sown and then... Um, the seed that fell upon stony ground it, and had no uh, depth of earth when the sun came up, it scorched it and and because it had no root in itself, well it withered away. It, it could not survive and the lack of root points to no spirit of Christ within in dwelling. Well it says here in verse 9 of Revelation 16, and men were scorched with great heat. Now, the word heat is Strong's number 2738. It's a very closely related word to scorched, which was 2739. And heat is only found one other place, and it it happens to be also in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 7, um, I'll, I'll read from verse 9, and this is describing um, the great multitude that God saved during a little season of the Great Tribulation. It says in Revelation 7, 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, 
saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And then, uh, let's go down to verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Now let's stop here for a second. We we see the great multitude are clothed in white, which indicates the righteousness of Christ. They are saved. They have come out of great tribulation, which means the great tribulation is over. And yet, verse 15 says, They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And day and night is a time reference. There is no night in heaven. As um, a little further on in the book of Revelation, it says that. There, there is no night there. But when we read day and night, it indicates the 24-hour period that operates while the earth is in existence, while the sun, the moon, and the stars are uh, performing their normal courses. And, and the great multitude here who are clothed in white, just like those seven messengers were clothed in fine white linen, they are serving God before his throne day and night, after the Great Tribulation, while the world is still continuing, it's still existing, the world has not yet been destroyed. And the only time possible for this to be taken place is in those days after that Tribulation, Judgment Day, our present time period, that we find ourselves in, uh, a very likely 1,600 days of judgment upon the inhabitants of the earth. And, and, and so here is the great multitude serving God day and night in his temple. And it goes on to say, And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. And there's the same word that we have in Revelation 16.9, that, that they were scorched with a great heat. And here, concerning the great multitude, they will not hunger nor thirst anymore. Well, someone might say, well, now hold it. You're saying it has to do with the elect that are presently living on the earth. Don't we hunger and thirst still, they would say? Well, yes, of course we do physically hunger and thirst while uh, we're continuing to live on the earth during this period of God's judgment. But spiritually, remember what was said in um, in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, we saw that the great multitude was clothed in fine white linen. The righteousness of the saints, Revelation 19.8 says, 
is fine white linen. So they are all righteous in God's sight. They hungered and thirst because God gave them that desire um, in, in their lifetime on the earth. And God saved them all. So all of the great multitude have become righteous through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, uh, concerning hungering and thirsting after righteousness, God says they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. That is, it's not an issue. It's not a need any longer for those chosen people because they've all received that righteousness. And then at the end of verse 16 of Revelation 7, it says, Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. Now we're seeing in Revelation 16, it's judgment day. And in the day of judgment, the vial is poured upon the sun, and and power is given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And, and that is part of the judgment of God. The sun scorching them with great heat involves God's wrath upon them. But concerning the great multitude, the sun uh, uh, neither shall the sun light on them. Now, the the word light is um, unusual translation of the Greek word here. The Greek word that's translated as light on is uh, almost always translated as fall or fell. Uh, for instance, it's the word in Revelation 9, in verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded... And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, or a star light from heaven, a light on uh, unto the earth, or something similar to that. In other words, it's the same Greek word. The the star falling is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ coming in judgment, coming in wrath, as Revelation nine is the transition from the judgment on the church in the previous chapter to now the judgment on all the world. And and so the star falls on or lights on the inhabitants of the earth. And yet for the great multitude, uh, uh, neither shall the sun fall on them, nor any heat. And the Bible says the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord Jesus Christ is identified with the sun. He's the light of the world. And he will not judge them or punish them for their sin, even though the Bible does tell us we, we the elect, must all appear or be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ to demonstrate the judgment already performed in Christ from the foundation of the world. And yet, in reality, the truth is that God isn't judging us. We've been judged. This is a, a demonstration only. Our, he's not punishing us for our sin. Our sins are paid for. It, it's it's just an appearance, a making a manifest uh, as we have remained on the earth, living through this period of time. 
And, and so God uses that kind of image uh, concerning appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. But the truth is the Son, eternal God, will not fall on any of the great multitude, nor any heat. That great heat that scorched the uh, unsaved, that great heat that scorches the professed Christian, the professed true believers, we, we, uh, have to say, because they, uh, it, it, primarily God's testing program for this time period involves those that came out of the churches that profess to know the true gospel of the Bible and, and the doctrines of God. They're the ones that are the objects of the severe test. Well, we're all being tested, but the fire has been put to them. The great heat coming forth from the sun is scorching them, and and they're withering away because they have had no root in themselves. All right, let's go back to Revelation 16 and continue reading in verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat, and blaspheme the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Now we really see a lot uh, of things going on in the rest of this verse, a lot of important information that God is giving us. And and uh, to begin with, that these men who are scorched with great heat, um, they they blaspheme the name of God. Now we can we can see that the scorching from the sun, this intense heat that is impacting these men, is the cause of their blasphemy. Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which has power over these plagues. It, it's as though. Um, someone is out in, in a, a brilliant sun on a very hot day and they're under the elements and, and they're feeling the effects and so they're angry with God and they're cursing God. They're speaking evil of God. That's what the word blasphemy means. And we've looked at this before. It's Strong's number 987. And um, it, it's translated a few times, evil speaking or evil spoken of. For instance, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 16, the same Greek word translated as blasphemy is translated there, Romans 14, 16, this way. Let not then your good be evil spoken of evil spoken of. Let not your good be blasphemed. And and that's very helpful. Blasphemy, you know, is one of those words that um, the modern secular world um, uh, tends to mock. They they There's something about the sound of the word or whatever it is. It uh, may be due to its um, old English nature. Uh, but it's a word they associate with um, with holy rollers, and 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 they they mock the idea 
of blasphemy as though it were not something that truly were of any serious concern. And yet God has a great deal to say about this word blasphemy. And and what it means is to speak evil of. And, and so a child of God's good could be evil spoken of. And this same point is brought up in First Peter chapter 4. It says uh, here in First Peter 4, um, let, let's read in verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Now, uh, what would that be? Well, here God is saying, look, we were like them, all, all men are the same, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were children of wrath, even as others. There, there's no difference with us, except God made a difference. God made a distinction between uh, Jacob and Esau by determining to love Jacob and not Esau he hated. And once God makes that decision, and he made it before the foundation of the world, and and he made choice, he saved certain individuals to be a people for himself, only according to his good pleasure, nothing in them, that we're all dirty, rotten, filthy uh, sinners, there's not one above another, nobody's better than anybody else. But when God translated one of these dirty, rotten, filthy sinners out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son and began to show him the truth and and washed away his sins and and impressed upon that person, uh, be ye holy for I am holy and and began to show them the way in which they must walk, the things they must do in the keeping of his commandments, then it was the light shining in the darkness. And he could have been the best of friends with others and gotten along wonderfully with the people of the world, like-minded in their sinful pursuits. But as soon as that translation was made, that change, that major drastic change in heart, and the light began shining into that person's life. And then that individual uh, started doing the will of God and shining a light into his friends' lives as they were comfortable in their darkness. They don't like it. They don't like it at all. Oh, something uh, ha- has changed our friends. Something Terrible, they think, 
and and so they could say, oh, he's turned into a nutcase. Uh, he's he's um, he's holier than thou, or he's he's better than us now. Uh, there's just um, um, numerous ways that they start uh, speaking evil of, always with the best intentions, of course. And they'll get together with their other friends, and and they think it's strange that you don't party with them, you don't run with the same excess of riot. At, um, around the holidays, uh, you don't go out on New Year's Eve and 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 so on, and rather you you rather read the Bible and you rather talk about the Word of God. How unusual, how uh, strange this is, and and so they speak evil. Now God says in verse fourteen of First Peter four, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ. Happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. You see, they're speaking evil of the believer, and God looks at it as though they're speaking evil of him. Why? Well, because God's the one who did the work within that person. God's the one who changed him. God's the one whose spirit is within, moving inside to to will and do of his good pleasure. So the things they're starting to do, or stopping to do, they're no longer drinking, no longer smoking, no longer doing drugs, no longer cursing, no longer lying, and beginning to do things God's way, that's God's doing. And when his friends think it's strange and speak evil of the individual, well, in reality, they're speaking evil of God. And that's that's part of what we have in view in Revelation 16, in the time of Judgment Day, that men were scorched with great heat, and blaspheme the name of God which has power over these plagues. Now let me just give an example. There's um, a true man of God like Mr. Camping. Faithful man of God, diligently studied the Bible uh, and for many, many years, and God gave him much truth and opened up tremendous information to him from the Bible, and, and, and God um, uh, opened up many of the end-time uh, scriptures uh, that had been sealed up previously to Mr. Camping's understanding and gave him a pulpit, the Ministry of Family Radio, to proclaim these things all over the earth, and yet God kept in reserve a couple of bits of information in order to set a trap to lay the snare for the world and for, um, uh, to, to set the table for the severe test of all professed true believers and 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 so Mr. Camping was as faithful as he could be, given the information he had in the time leading up to May 21, and even after for a short period of time. And, and yet, when things did not turn out as declared and as expected, because God brought to pass a spiritual judgment 
he shut the door of heaven, which is an invisible door that man could not see, close, and, and therefore man concluded nothing happened, and he didn't see the ground shake, there was no great earthquake, and, and, and so the reviling and the ridiculing and the mocking, uh, of Mr. Camping was tremendous. Tremendous. It, it, it was, um, just an outpouring of blasphemy. Not against Mr. Camping. He's just a man. It doesn't, it, it could have been any man who's a true believer who proclaimed God's word and Really, remember, when someone speaks evil of the child of God, if God's the one who moved within that individual, if and he, he was in Mr. Camping's case, and if God's the one that opened up the information uh, concerning the biblical calendar of history, the uh, doctrine of the end of the church age, the doctrine of the appointed day of judgment, May 21, 2011, and so forth. And then, if people despise and reject these things and mock these things, well, they're mocking the doctrine of God. That's why it says here, they blaspheme the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. That this is done by God it's according to his will, his design. He's the power behind it all. And and, and let me, let's go to another verse. First Timothy chapter 6 in verse 1. And here God joins together blasphemy, his name, and doctrine in verse 1 of First Timothy 6. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine, that the name of God and doctrine be not blasphemed or spoken evil of. So uh, you have all kinds of people that that understand, um, they, they probably have a, a legitimate, genuine fear of, uh, audibly saying um, um, or or cursing God. Now, some people don't care, and they would curse God. But those that say they're Christian, oh, they would never do that. No, they they would never mock God directly. They would never mock um, the the person of God and shake their fist at Him and revile God. But those same people. Uh, don't have the same restraint when it comes to the doctrine of God. And, and yet God sees no difference. If you mock the doctrine of God, if you mock the teaching of His Word, you've mocked the name of God. There, there is no difference in God's sight. It's why in 2 John, it says in verse 9 of 2 John, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he is both the Father and the Son. The doctrine of Christ is extremely important. It's the Word of God. Doctrine and Word, they're, they're one and the same. We get doctrine, that is the teaching, 
from the Word. We read the Word and we learn truth and that is doctrine. And, and Christ is the truth. He is the Word. He is the doctrine. And when people dare, and they do this often, they dare speak evil of annihilation. They dare speak evil of the doctrine of the end of the church age. They dare speak evil of Judgment Day, May 21, 2011. Or they dare speak evil of a spiritual judgment that God has brought to pass in which he has stopped saving people. And, well, they, they, their target is the individual believer, the messenger of God. And they speak evil of him and they speak evil of what they consider to be his, the believer's doctrine. Yet, if the doctrine was derived by comparing scripture with scripture, and if we're quoting constantly from the Bible, and these things are fitting together in harmony, and we're delivering that and nothing added to God's word and nothing taken away, then who really is being evil spoken of? Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.